it's easy to say better, faster, cheaper, because you're always looking for those inside of an organization, but sometimes the, the solution just presents itself. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another edition of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm here live at Brandemonium in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm joined by a guest that I think is going to be a really fascinating conversation. Joining me is Kevin Burke, who's the Senior Director, Global Marketing Innovation at Beam Centauri. Kevin also comes from an amazing background, spending time at Coca-Cola and even before the acquisition at Vitamin Water, working on those businesses. So, Kevin, welcome to Predicting the Turn. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you having me. So I want to start off with that story of your background and the journey that you've gone on as somebody that joined Vitamin Water right before the acquisition, but then stayed nearly a decade after that and helped really grow that into a global brand. So tell us a little bit about your story and where yeah, you so came when today. I, yeah, thanks. And so when I finished um, school, I was kind of out there hunting, what do I want to do next? And I was actually working in the spirits business, oddly enough, as a, as a sales rep trying to sort of find my way around what I wanted to do really with my life. And I stumbled upon vitamin water around 2005. They were looking, uh, expanding a lot around their experiential marketing program at the time. And I latched on doing some sampling events and things like this with them and started to kind of see the culture of the company, the speed at what they work with, the fun they were having and kind of hounded their brand team about what roles are out there. Was fortunate enough that they had a regional marketing kind of position open, did it for three months and they were like, wait a minute, you seem to kind of know what you're doing as a lot of these younger companies do and, and quickly brought me into more of a brand experiential marketing role. So directly working for the brand team, managing a regional budget, managing a lot of sampling teams, what events to partner with, that sort of stuff. Little unbeknownst to me at the time, though, you know, they were uh, looking to move and, and Coke came along in early 2007 and purchased Glasso. And I sort of went, whoa, I guess I work for Coke now, right? The fun part was for a couple years after that, Coca-Cola was smart enough to let vitamin water, smart water grow, still operate as its own entity, still builds, find the right people that they needed to, to fit with their brand. And then started kind of weaving us into to more brands that they wanted to see work like Vitamin Water. One of the things I thought Coca-Cola did really well in that acquisition was not just throw it over the fence inside onto the red truck. They they used uh, Glasso and and the people and their methods as a platform for other brands like Powerade and some of the other investments they had at the time. Fuse, uh, Nas was an energy drink, and so I got more exposure working on those brands in 2011. Glasso had started to go global. So Vitamin Water, Smart Water started to go global within the Coca-Cola company. And I got the opportunity to go live in Germany and spend two years over there launching the brand around Europe. Came back from that assignment into the Atlanta corporate HQ, the khaki pants and, and blue blazer building. That one I might get in trouble for, Dave. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, came back and worked in a global marketing role there on a lot of uh, sort of enhanced water business and innovation. So. That's wonderful. So yeah, you, super cool journey. So you came back into Atlanta, and one of the things you started diving into was more those, let's call it entrepreneurial corporate innovation type stuff. So you became a facilitator, organizer for Startup Weekend. Right. You went through the Flashpoint program at Georgia Tech, yep. and you even were the co-founder of something called Karma Ford yeah. that came out of, it sounds like, a Startup Weekend. It did. So what caused you, you know, coming back into corporate to do that nights and weekends extra work to understand 
the space. There were some mentors at Coca Girl um, who's still doing a lot of uh, innovation entrepreneurship work in Atlanta named Carrie Davis. Yep. She built a program inside of Coca Cola that really selected people that were of like mind to try to do things differently within that that large organization. Carrie had a partnership with Startup Weekend, which fed me into it. Carrie um, brought me to Flashpoint, which was a an incub- corporate incubator program that we actually ran some vitamin water stuff through. So, so really through people, right? Finding those yeah. like-minded people is how you get into that stuff. For me personally, I, I think there was a desire kind of coming from a, a fast-moving Glasso make your own choices, but pay for those choices, whether they're good or bad. When you got inside of all this structure of of Coke, I was doing a lot of the standard brand management things, right? A lot of reporting, a lot of analyzing, a lot of PowerPoint, and there was a desire to do more, kind of play around in the sandbox, if you will. And having things like Startup Weekend inside of Coca-Cola or becoming a facilitator pushing our brand outside of the building to do the the Flashpoint Georgia Tech program. There was that desire. And, and once you start it, you kind of catch the bug, yep. as they say. Yeah, and I, I started doing a lot of it. Karma Forward actually was a, there was an actual Coca-Cola startup weekend where we gave people two days to come in and run the program with internal employees. And we, we created the idea of, could you, the, the idea was kind of spawned of, could you uh, give people rewards for doing good? Right, so it was kind of do good, do some charitable acts, plant a couple trees on a Saturday, you would earn some karma points, right? Mm -hmm. And then those could be redeemable with businesses. We got it to a place where we actually had some pilots running with movie theaters and and a couple of different charities in Atlanta. Um, And we ended up throwing it over to Points of Light. I don't know if you're familiar with Points of Light, Civic Accelerator, who liked the idea and they continued it and ultimately killed it. But just those things where you could play around outside of your day-to-day job. Um, and then the cool part was the opportunity to bring those together with Flashpoint. And Carrie and I went to Flashpoint to do actual project on vitamin water that the Coca-Cola company funded, right? So it was this play around with Startup Weekend, do it on your own, now bring it back to your real job, which has been a really fun journey. That's awesome. Yeah. So last year you made the move and uh, yeah. left Atlanta, went up to Chicago to work for Beam Centauri in the role you are now doing uh, global marketing director for innovation. So what's involved in that role? What's innovation mean at a, a liquor company? Yeah, so there's three um, sort of areas that we focus on in my remit. So one is exactly like it sounds, new product innovation. Uh, Beam Centauri will release between 50 and 75 new products this year out around the world. That's everything from your limited time offerings in our whiskey portfolio. This week, we actually launched uh, two new products from what we call the House of Centauri. So Haku Vodka, which is a rice, 100% rice-based vodka, and Roku Gin. So both Japanese vodka and gin came out in the portfolio. So that's sort of remit one is new products. The second is what we call foundational insights. It's really trends, what's going on in the industry, how do we predict what's coming three, five, seven, ten 10 years away. Yep. And our team takes a deep dive into that. And then the third space is what we call marketing capabilities, which is defined a little bit differently at Beam within our team. It's it's really about finding new ways to work. And that's a lot of the reason I'm here at, at Brandemonium um, and Brand Fusion is to look at startups, look at new ways outside of the company to do things differently. It's easy to say better, faster, cheaper, because you're always looking for those inside of an organization. But sometimes the the solution just presents itself, right? And you just didn't know that company existed. So unless you're kind of always looking outside within that marketing capabilities vertical we have, 
we're never going to even find them. So um, I encourage our team to do that. We work with 1871, the startup hub in Chicago, yep. working with a lot of their folks on a kind of monthly basis to see what's out there as well. So those three things, new products, foundational insights, and, and what we call capability building. So let's dive into the second part of that. Sure. So in predicting the turn, I call that market intelligence. Yeah. You know, this idea of predicting the how and when the future of your industry is going to happen. Ten years ago, big companies relied on futurists, these people that just thought about big ideas and where things could go. Today, I'm seeing people in corporate innovation dive in a lot more of you're looking at things like venture capital as a predictor of where things might be in five years, doing engagements with startups like you are. What are the tools of how you think about that and dive into that roadmap of not a guarantee of where things might be, but the scenario planning of where things might go? I think it's a balance of the old and the new, to be honest, right? So we still use some futurists. What we do task those futurists with, though, is, is what I like to call sort of shock and awe. Right. So I think it's really interesting to get a, a really strong futurist agency to go out there and paint a, paint a picture for your company on what the world might look like mm -hmm. just to shock people into what what we to get things moving. Right. Yeah. So I think kind of using the old in a different way is kind of step one. One of the other things we do a lot of is we've recently started looking into where government money's flowing. Right. So where's the government money being spent on research around alcohol, around cannabis, CBD, yep. around rules and regulations? Because typically, if you can figure out where the money is going to start flowing and who's who's doing what in that space and what research is taking place, you can predict five, eight, ten years out. And then we use a balance of, I'd say, other sort of partners and methodologies, right? Events like like this one today. We'll use uh, scouting events like London Cocktail Week or Tales of the Cocktail in, in our specific industry try to find those people that are truly kind of ahead of the game and and get them in the building for interviews try to find the the, the bars or the mixologists that are out there that are really reinventing menus yep things like this and, and try to bring those in through either MA or, or strategic relationships right so i think kind of getting out the japanese centauri team has a thing called gimba which is about getting out into the field getting out into seeing where your customer truly lives and so I think a balance of those three, right, is is sort of where we're figure out what's going on in the world of insights. So. It's great. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned Tales of the Cocktail. I went to my first yeah. one ever last year down in New Orleans. It's a lot of fun. It's a blast. But it's fascinating seeing an industry where your front line is the bartenders, the mixologists, and seeing an event where they're talking about that engagement in the industry, that it's the B2B side of the liquor industry. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the big trends happening today is this idea of sort of low ABV or even zero proof cocktails, right? Yep. That's out there happening in, in the world. It's here today. Uh, William Grant, one of our competitors, opened Tales last year with a zero proof party. Who'd imagine at a bartender conference that you'd open with a party that doesn't serve any alcohol, right? Yep. But but just their showing their mindset kind of signaled to us we better we better start doing more in that space. And we've got five, seven projects in the pipeline right now addressing that sort of thing, right? We're probably behind. So if you can get out and start to see what's going on um, ahead of the game, and, and, I, and I think those kind of key events like that, or like this one today, are, are the places that happens. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company 
that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So the last few years of your career has really been spent in this dead center corporate innovation where can big companies kind of evolve and go. As you've started this journey, what other companies have inspired you? Who are you looking to to learn from and take lessons That's from? That's a great question. I've had uh, the working on Powerade back at Coke. I uh, I got kind of a deep dive look at what Under Armour's done with their data platform. Something that's super super fascinating and kind of opened up my eyes to by having things like Map My Run in their portfolio and the data that they can pull off of consumers and then use that to innovate. Right. They've launched a ton of tech products around sort of that as sort of a new vertical for them. So I think that was one that sort of sparked sparked what, what I was doing. I, I recently met the founder of a product called Seedlip. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Seedlip. No. It's a zero proof gin, essentially out of the UK. The founder distilled over 45 batches in his backyard, trying to get to something that could taste like gin. Then he did another 450 to get to this product that he now sells to consumers. He's selling a distilled product with no alcohol, right? When you meet these kinds of people, um, Diageo has invested in him, something um, we missed on, unfortunately. But um, you see these kind of people, you meet these kind of people. I, I, I think that, you know, finding one insight, someone's driving it all the way through or those companies that are that are truly interesting in the space. I met some guys recently to give you another spirits example. They're selling carved ice. So everybody likes to drink their whiskey with the right clear glass block of ice or the right ball of ice for for their serve. They're selling it in six packs and 12 packs in, in stores, right? Um, taking something that molds you can make them at home or you're seeing in the restaurant experience and kind of bringing it to retail i think these are the kind of nuggets that that are starting to inspire where we want to go with with pipelines something the corporation frankly it's hard to convince your bosses to let you get in the ice business if you're selling spirits right i'd say those three are probably something that's been pretty interesting spotify their data is fascinating what they're able to do and kind of they probably know more about me than than Google does at this point, just based on when I turn on, what I listen to, what mood I'm in. Those are some good ones. I love that. So, you know, what's fascinating about what you just described is there are things where there's an emerging seed of an idea, something that looks really interesting, but it's not yet a big market opportunity. Yeah. How do you start educating and convincing, you know, your peers, your management of there's something interesting here. Don't evaluate the company on its own but look at the idea behind the company. Prototypes, I would say, or, e- or even PACCEPs, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a great design partner or, or an in-house designer, mocking, a, I'll use the ice example again, seeing this product show up in a store, there's no interest in kind of uh, our business to get in that today. But if we went and mocked up a maker's mark prototype of what a box looked like with six cubes of ice in it, Right now, all of a sudden, they're interested. Oh, you've connected it back to something, and that could help me sell more Maker's Mark. I found with our leadership teams that visuals and and kind of walking them through what what a potential business could mean for Beam as an adjacency, as a a new product, as a 
something new. It's, it sounds simple, but just illustrating it into something that they can touch or feel or, or even just see on a slide during a, a business review or something like this tends to spark interest in them. Now, will they green light it? No, you got to go do the business case, but you haven't even got permission to do the business case yet. So we'll build prototypes. We work with a, a great partner in Chicago called Kaleidoscope that will literally mock up a bottle and then we'll pour a competitive liquid in it, right? Just to show the bosses what it might look like. I think, I think this is a step that a lot of startups do, right? They make minimum viable products, which helps get across what they want to do, helps give them that first iteration. In the corporate world, doing that with whatever you have and whatever ability you have, whatever budget you have to do it, is a great tool to continue to use. Yeah, it's kind of the essence of design thinking and how yeah. to use that. So that's how you do it right. What do you think companies are doing wrong when it comes to in corporate innovation? With There's probably a long, long, long list, but what are the two or three things you think people are doing the wrong the most? Uh, they're not taking enough swings, right? They're not trying enough. For whatever reason, many corporations are stuck in the world of create some, create an idea, I've got to research it two, three, four times, iterate it again, research it again, right? Spend a lot of time and dollars versus just take a bunch of swings at it. Try to make a prototype, try to, to build version one or two without so much time or effort or cost and see where it could go from there. They don't even try. We kind of wait for our process to come before you get there. I think stages and gates are a big problem with a lot of corporate, corporate innovation teams. They are necessary to trigger decisions. I think they're necessary to signal to other parts of the organization what's coming so they can plan for the future. But many of the stages and gates processes that I've witnessed or talked to colleagues about in other industries tend to get in the way of a lot of innovation. I think uh, someone could reinvent that. That would be a huge, uh, a huge step forward. Um, i trying to think what else do people do wrong. They don't listen to the person, the consumer, I think is the other. It sounds, it sounds that it should be principle number one, right? Consumer first uh, product launches, consumer first innovation, but people don't, they let the corporate world get in the way of that in thousands of ways, right? You get a boss that might fall in love with a project and then you just kind of ignore what the consumer's telling you. Yeah. You let a customer dictate what flavor something should be but just because they think that's the right thing to do truly try to stick to the principles i think is, is what helps so when you started your career you went into that emerging brand category joining vitamin water before it was even bought by coke and beverages is probably that first industry that emerging brands new brands what was happening 10 years ago is now starting to hit a lot of other categories yeah. and find instead including craft liquor now, finally. Yeah. You know, the examples you mentioned with Diageo. When you think about big companies engaging with these emerging brands, is it investing, acquiring, partnering, trying to compete directly against them by replicating? How are you thinking about that portfolio strategy of what you want, not just Beams and Tory to do, but what big companies should do as a whole? The best model I've seen is, is actually the one that Coke built over 12 years ago now, right? Which was venturing in emerging brands. I had a chance to be a small, play a small part of it for part of my career there. But they truly saw the, the roadmap to, we're going to make 75 or 100 investments, right? And we're going to do this over time. Um, and some are going to be big and some are going to be small. Some are going to be really small bets um, in distribution into data companies into retailers, right? They've done a really nice job at that, which is a really good model. If your company hasn't built something, so 
Suntory is a much more traditional M&A operated company, which is which has its advantages as well. What we try to do is 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 sort of create opportunities for those M&A guys to see um, potential in something. We're running a program at Beam called the Founders Forum, which is much like your event today, where you're going to bring in eight to ten startup spirits companies from different verticals. Right? There might be a craft mixer. There might be a um, a craft whiskey. We may find a, a data company, a, a, a spirits media company that's emerging. Bring them all kind of in and spend a couple of days with Beam, under the the opportunity for us to learn from them. But also, we're taking a look and kind of seeing what they're doing. And you can run these kind of workshops, and hopefully, that opens up the eyes to M and A. I've seen different tactics. Um, it could be as as small as a one-time event once a year, it can be a full-fledged venturing and emerging brands like Coke, but you got to have something. And I don't know if it needs to be super formalized. Yeah. I think all that's dictated by your strategy and where you want to go as a corporation. But innovation teams could do it on their own. Yep. doesn't have to be something that's dictated from the top down. So with that Founders Forum, yeah. is that something you're curating yourselves? Are you working with agencies, partners, we're, vendors? We're curating ourselves. Something that we, you know, great artists steal, something that we plucked from from a previous boss that worked at Venturing and Emerging Brands. Yeah. Um, a, a model that uh, truly an innovation team can lead. Now yeah. we're, we're involving corporate strategy, we're involving the commercial team, we're involving the customer teams, right? Because we want someone from Walmart to come speak to these startups on our behalf and explain to them what it's like getting a listing yep. there, right? So there's value for these startups to want to join our program too. We, you know, again, we're taking an active chance to meet those founders and kind of understand their businesses and what we like about them during those days that we can have the session. So we're curating ourselves, building it, doing it in Chicago in the office. If you know anyone, please throw the names my way um i've got a couple names i'll yeah, toss out love, to you love to love to have them we can I get some that. invites out yeah so you know when you think about uh companies a lot of times they get management says you know we need to act like a startup we need to do all this you talked about prototyping you talked about some of the lessons for corporate innovation but what's it really even mean when somebody says within the corporate halls of let's act like a startup i don't even think they know Typically means a ping pong table. Yep. Ping and jeans to work. <laughs> yeah, something like this, right? Yeah. All the cliches kind of come to mind. It, it it's it starts with a culture of a leader, right? It take it's gonna take a, a high level leader putting something in place or giving someone a license to do it, right? Um I've had that fortunately at Beam from the top down, from our CEO to CMO have said you guys are global innovation, go figure some things out for us. Um in my previous world at Coke, right? A guy named David Butler and Kerry Davis created this innovation entrepreneurship group that was blessed by the by the CFO actually to go figure some things out. So it does take a blessing. It does take a cultural shift for someone to kind of give a give a push to it for them to start understanding. But I, I truly don't think they know what that means. You hear it all the time. We have an entrepreneurial culture. We have these things. We move fast. We move quick. But in the end, they default tend to default back to the to the status quo. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So final question for you, since yeah. you've been so gracious with your time. So you meet a lot of startups. You know, it was point number three when you talk about what your role at Beam yeah. Centauri is. What advice would you give to a young company that is coming in to talk to a Fortune 500? How should they approach it? What should they keep in mind? And how are they going to have the best success? Don't come in. I, I think there's 
two things that come to mind. One, don't come in with the attitude that uh, a lot of startups you meet come in with this attitude that they're gonna like get a sale that day, right? Um, they're gonna come in and get the, they're gonna hit their home run right out of the gate versus this first meeting. Chances are it's not the right person to make that decision you're meeting with. Chances are they're showing up there for something different. They're evaluating you as a potential partner, not necessarily something that could be a 10-year relationship or even acquire. I, I feel like startups show up in the with the wrong mindset sometimes. I like it when startups show up to these meetings and say, help me understand your business, right? Can you tell me more about Beam? And they spend the bulk of the time learning about that and then ultimately go to, well, who's the right person that our business could fit into? So that's a trap I think that the that, that teams tend to fall into. And then the other one that I think that's that's pretty blatant and easy for people to get, and if you're a startup that's ever worked with a corporation, once you have convinced that contact to work with you, know that there are 15 other hoops you're gonna jump through from master services agreements to PO processes to net 30, net 60 days, payment processes, approvals, all that sort of uh, back-end stuff before you can even become a vendor in many cases. So, so don't think that just because you had a successful sales meeting that you're going to be able to turn it on immediately. Be ready for those things. Be patient with those things. Trust me, the person wants to hire you as much as you want to work with them, but there's going to be a, a long loop of process you're going to have to be ready for. If you show up with the right attitude and you're willing to be patient, there's a lot of cool work that can happen between the big guy and the little guy. Yeah. I love that last point because I think a lot of people forget once that person's decide they want to oh. work with you, they are your champion. Yeah. But they're under as much pressure to get it done as anything else. So help them to be successful. Yeah. Just because you decide to work together doesn't mean that it's done. You still got to continue that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great kind of point to end on. So I really appreciate you taking the time. That's yeah, uh, been a fascinating conversation. So yeah, it's been a really you. fun day. Thanks for having us. For yeah. sure. We'll talk real soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.